This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Well, one of the hot stories of the night was the earthquake that uh, was 4.6, struck outside of Seattle early morning, but some people felt it right through here in Metro Vancouver. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was down in Los Angeles in the aftermath of the San Francisco earthquake. I can't remember, it was a couple of decades ago, but it was the big one down there. And they had an earthquake. And it was fascinating to see the response of all the people, you know, interviewed and all that stuff, and people we came out and talked to around the condo. And it was always the fear that it was the big one coming next. That it's not, if they knew that the level of damage was, you know, to this factor, then fine, they would have been a lot calmer. But once it starts, they start worrying, oh my gosh, is this the big one? And that's certainly a concern. We talk a lot about earthquake preparedness, you know, whether it's having fresh water or an earthquake kit, that kind of thing. But where are we at in terms of being able to predict, uh, able to help us prepare in that way for an earthquake? Well, what's so interesting is that a lot of, uh, we've got a story right here about a technology being developed at Simon Fraser University to give us at least a heads up if an earthquake is imminent. And there's a lot of positive factors that could come out of that. For example, if you had warning, you could stop people from driving across a bridge right at that moment. You could turn off gas lines, for example, because a lot of the damage, of course, is the aftermath of this. So I'm very pleased to have with me Professor Barad Barini. He's from the School of Metatronic Systems Engineering at Simon Fraser, used to, uh, Simon Fraser University. Professor Barini, thanks so much for taking time with us. Uh, good morning, and thanks for having me. And as you, as you can appreciate, we hear a lot of talk about earthquake, and it just seems like we've had several recently. Not just, uh, you know, we had the Seattle one, then, what, a few hours later we had one down in L.A., but it seems it's more than that, and people are worried. And, and I thought, this is an interesting angle, though. Is, is technology getting any further ahead and ab- enabling us to at least have some sort of warning that one's coming? Well, actually, the knowledge and technology has been around for a long time. The issue is that it is not cheap enough to be deployed at a larger scale. But uh, right now, even in BC, we have a very good network of uh, um, earthquake protection uh, or or detection early warning systems for earthquakes that are distributed around, uh, around the province. The challenge, oh, these are all going to work just fine, and we have had, uh, you know, basically the proper notifications from these systems regarding the earthquakes in the past. And the challenge here is that these are attached to major pieces of infrastructure, so a major bridge or a major tunnel. So, for example, Massey Tunnel has one of those systems installed. But a lot of the general public uh, is essentially unprotected, and that can go, for example, for the you know residential households, schools, and all, all other places like that. Part of the reason is that the technology is very expensive. You know, the sensors that they use to detect these earthquakes, these primary waves that come from the earthquakes, um, is anywhere between $10,000 to $50,000 per piece, per installation, which makes it unaffordable. And uh, for that reason, you know, we don't have a distributed network of sensors for smaller, infra- smaller pieces of infrastructure. And one of the, uh, as you just mentioned earlier in your uh, introductory talk, one of the challenges is aftermath, what happens after the earthquake. And there are actually studies right now that show that if you have such sensors in buildings, you can actually determine if the building is safe to re-enter after the earthquake, because that's also a big problem. Once an earthquake hits a region, you don't know if the different buildings are safe to enter. And 
having those sensors, such a distributed network of sensors, can uh, be of great help in that uh, aspect as well. You know, besides all the benefits that you can get before the earthquake hits, you also have benefits when it actually happens. Uh, you know, I, I, by the way, thank you. You made a, such a terrific point about the cost of these things, because if we can get the cost down, then obviously the deployment can be much more broad. Uh, how are we doing on that end, or of some, not necessarily the exact models of what we're talking about that we have that are expensive in major infrastructure projects, but, you know, maybe a smaller version or just something, as you say, that can detect uh, for a lot of reasons, whether it's you should personally turn off your gas line, as an example. Um, okay, so... Um what uh, these sensors mostly do is that they detect vibrations. And a sensor that detects vibrations, and everybody nowadays has one in their cell phone, is an accelerometer. The issue with accelerometers is that they are normally not sensitive enough to pick up uh, uh-huh. the primary waves that are uh, generated by these earthquakes at the onset. These primary waves are, you know, you can think of them as the sound of the earthquake. And some animals like horses and dogs and some birds can actually hear that and and they react to that sound. Unfortunately, humans cannot. But these sensors, if they are sensitive enough, can pick it up. Uh, The cost of these sensors, as I mentioned, is large. These, These devices are relatively large. You know, they're made using the old technologies. But there are new developments, including the work in our lab, that we want to miniaturize these sensors, fabricate many of them at the same time, and hopefully bring the cost down. Uh, There has been other efforts. You know, there is a lot of effort on earthquake detection around the world, for example, in Taiwan, in Japan, in the U.S., in a lot of places. People are trying to figure out if they can put a network of these cheaper sensors together and gather the information. For example, in California, there's actually a, a pilot study that has been going on for a long time that um, they want to use if they can use the uh, sensors in cell phones to actually make a prediction. But because these sensors are not meant for this purpose, they are not sensitive enough, they're too noisy, there has to be a lot of signal processing. And by the time you do the signal processing, you it may be too late. Mm-hmm. But uh, the goal that we have in our lab is that hopefully we can develop sensors that are sensitive enough that they can pick up this uh, basically warning signals and uh, they are connected to the primary sources of concern like for example they are connected to the gas distribution system for it and it doesn't have to be every building it could be a building block that they can actually shut off the gas connection to the entire block or the electricity to the entire block i was talking to city managers in metro vancouver and actually one of the concerns they have is that after an earthquake the city can be flooded because the water pipes can break. Mm -hmm. So if you can actually shut off the water lines, that would be great. Uh, Another concern they had was that, you know, in fire stations, the bay, the doors to the bays where the fire trucks are cannot, can jam if an earthquake happens. So they want those doors to open automatically so that the fire truck can get out. Um, But in the end, yeah, so the sensor, we are hoping that we can make it sensitive enough and cheap enough that you can install one, Ideally per building, because as I mentioned, it can help you with the assessment of the building uh, after the earthquake. But one per block or for, let's say, a school buildings, things like that. Hopefully we can make it affordable enough in the next few years by developing this new family of sensors. Now, can you even ballpark, uh, do you, you know, sort of target maybe five years from now, we'll wake up and we'll be able to do this? Or is that just not possible at this moment? Uh so I think the biggest uh, challenge that we have right now is uh, 
finding somebody that is willing to manufacture these at a large scale, right? So this is something that requires a little bit of public encouragement, you know, from the the government. The private industries are they do not see a big market as if and as of now, if if people are not going to use tens or hundreds or thousands of these devices, it's not really going to be commercially feasible. It's not a good product. So it needs a little bit of encouragement and uh, maybe even legislation at the government level to uh, make the private entities go and look for solutions and start investing in these solutions. But there are technically viable solutions that hopefully can lead into low-cost uh, early warning systems for earthquake. Uh, one more question, if you got time, and it's this is might might qualify me for a job with the National Enquirer, but you know, is a big you know California, as I said, I've been down there personally, experienced it, but had people's are worried about the big one. Is that inevitable? Um, well, you can't. Okay, so there's always vibrations and shaking and uh, earthquakes, right? So you cannot really be so too sure about when the next one is going to happen and how big it is going to be. Mm-hmm. People just look at the history of the event and look at the activity of the fault lines and they try to make predictions, but these are all probabilistic, right? So you assign a probability to something happening. And for the next big one in Metro Vancouver area, I have seen predictions anywhere between 10 to 40% that uh, an earthquake of magnitude 8 will hit this region in the next 30 years. So if you want to be a pessimist, you can say that it is almost a 50-50 chance in the next uh, 30 years. But again, you know, you can also look at the lower end of that spectrum. But the recent studies are actually putting that risk at a bit higher. So it's close to 37%, I think, right now, one of the more recent studies. It's fascinating Eventually, stuff. it will happen. The issue is that, yeah, it, it will happen, but, you know, when it happens and how big it is, we can't know. We can only prepare for, hopefully, the worst case. Great stuff. Uh, I really appreciate you finding time. I'm talking with Associate Pressure, Professor with the School of Metronic Systems Engineering at Simon Fraser, uh, Barad Barini. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome.